So I hope you had a good time and a good week. We're going to be talking about commitment this morning. And your commitments will develop you or destroy you. But I guarantee you, either way, they will define you. So if you're looking in your smartphone or a Bible, 2 Chronicles chapter 25. And we're going to talk about a guy named Amaziah. And then I'm going to compare him to another king named David. It says, when Amaziah was 25 years old and began to reign as king, he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerodon of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with his whole heart. You know, if you're not going all the way, why go at all? Anybody that runs a business, anybody that's had a sports team, Anybody on church ministry knows it's horrible to be with somebody and their heart's not in it. And everybody can tell you're going through the motions, but your heart's not in it. So why go at all? You know, it's a funny thing. I've never, ever heard a football coach or Coach Popovich ask his team to go out on the field, go out on the court, boys, and give me 90%. Never. You can't imagine him standing before the team and saying, now go out on the field and give me uh, oh, 75%. I've never seen an employer of a great company or organization interview a prospective employee and say, hey, we expect around here you to give about 75% of a good day's work. You, you're laughing because it's unthinkable. I've never been to a wedding and heard a groom say to a bride, with this ring I thee wed, and I promise to be devoted and faithful to you, well, a pretty darn good chunk of the time. No, you're going to walk out of that church real fast. But I've seen people go to church for years, and they want to hear about grace and about how God loves them, no matter what they do, and they, they want to get a little bit of relief from getting beat up in the world because their life is so overcommitted. But they would really, really, honestly rather avoid hearing about a call to commitment from them that would challenge them to the core of their being. You know, you have to expect, Rick, do you really expect that I would voluntarily on occasion suffer loss or refrain from pleasure I could have or maybe sacrifice my comfort at times, give up my time, confess my sin, humble myself, be accountable to a spiritual family or community? Yep. 100% commitment to God, full devotion to Jesus Christ, because nothing else and no one else is even close to being worth it. Now, for a long time, Israel had various kings, and God was wait, wanting to teach his people to make him their king, but now they didn't want to do it that way. God is actually not real pleased with the idea of human kings because he knows what's really going on in the heart of his people is they don't want him to be their king. Can I pause just a second and say this? I thought it was good. I put it on Twitter. If you don't plan to live the Christian life committed to Jesus, don't start. Christianity is a change of citizenship, a change of government, a change of allegiance. So if you have no intention of letting Jesus rule in your life, forget about Christianity. It's not for you because I'm giving up myself ruling me and I'm giving my life to another to rule over me. And if you won't let him rule over you, then call yourself a Buddhist. Don't call yourself a Christian. I'm just being really honest. I think you could kind of go with me on that. Now we're going to look at a guy named David. 
And I want to contrast him with Amaziah. Remember, Amaziah was 25 years old, reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. Uh, he did pretty much what was right, but his heart wasn't in it. So he punched the clock. He followed the rules. He checked the boxes, but his heart wasn't there. That's a miserable way to live in marriage or business, career, sports or relationships. And boy, I don't want that for anybody here at Summit. Now you contrast that with the life of David. God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart who will carry out all my desires. So David is called a man after God's heart. Now that's a bit strange because old Dave's been guilty of adultery and murder and cover up. How was your day? He's a train wreck as a husband. He's worse as a dad. But his heart absolutely belongs to God. His whole life is immersed in the presence and glory of God. And what lights him up is to serve God and love God. He's a fallible human being, but oh, I'll tell you where his heart is. And when he messes up, and boy, he does often, he immediately repents and he wants to get right with God immediately. So I want to use David's life to get a great clarity on what wholehearted devotion or 100% commitment looks like. And then ask the question for myself and ask it for you. Where do you stand this morning? Good question. When somebody calls themselves a Christian, our expectation is, hey, 100% commitment to Jesus. So what does that look like? Well, here we go. Number one, wholehearted devotion to God is constantly initiating servanthood. It doesn't just follow the rules. It doesn't do just what it's told or what it has to do. That's what a slave does. A son, you're sons of God if you're a follower of Jesus. You can initiate. If the grass is four feet tall, you can go cut it without daddy threatening you with a tire tool. You can initiate. If you see trash on the parking lot and you're not in maintenance, you can pick it up. I do it all the time. If you see something out of the order, you can deal with it. You can initiate. So 100% commitment to Jesus means I initiate servanthood. I don't have to be manipulated, exploited, pressured, or commanded to do it. I see it. I do it. Somebody's wandering around, look like they're lost. Maybe they don't never been here before. Don't well say, can I help you? But at the end of the day, if they need a nursery, don't say, well, it's down the hall, two exits to the right. It'll be the first door. Don't do that. Take them. Say, come on with me. I'll take you down there. That makes a big wow impression. And that's, that's servanthood. We got vacation Bible school coming up and we need a hundred and something people left out of 400 to, to deal with 700 to 1,000 children. And it's kind of like we almost have to send the KGB to your house and threaten to take your children or your husband, maybe that'd be good, and put them in prison before you'd serve. But it ought to be like, that's my spiritual family. Hey, I, I, I'm, a, I'm not at work. I, could, I can do it. It's inconvenient. There's a couple of days it's really tight. But hey, I'll be there. I'll serve. Count me in. What? Why should it be a hard thing when you're committed? There's just a whole lot of things I could show up and do if I had a heart to serve. One day when David was a teenage kid, he sees this big giant taunting the people of God. And David says, God's been faithful to me as a shepherd boy. When a lion or a bear would come, God protected me. So I'll take this guy out. I'll risk my life for God. 
And by the way, he was not in the army, not military trained. He had not been deputized or commissioned to go do anything in warfare. He saw this sucker mocking his people. He said, I'm in this game. He stepped up and took action without being voted on, told to do it. He just did it because it was right. You see somebody being abused. You see somebody being patronized. Somebody with a purse snatcher, step in. Well, I could get hurt. Well, yeah. It's still right to do it. Help somebody. See, it, it sounds strange, and it should just be normal. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give. And if you don't want to serve and you don't want to give, hey, be a Buddhist. Be an atheist. Be anything but a Christian. Because the Son of God, our Savior, the captain of our salvation, God in the flesh said, Hey, I came to serve humanity, and I came to give my life. So I got to say, sometimes it's inconvenient. Sometimes I don't feel like it. So what? I do it anyway. And that's what you have to do when you're 100% committed. Later on, when David became powerful, he volunteered at great expense to himself to look after a disabled boy named Mephibosheth. Because Mephibosheth was the last remaining member of his best friend's family, Jonathan. He didn't have to do that. He didn't owe him anything. But he initiated. And later on when he was king living in a palace, he's thinking, man, I'm living in a gated community in a special zip code with some uh, special superstars and celebrities who live here. I've got a spectacular palace. But the ark of God's glory is outside under a dumb tent. This is not right. I want to build God a house. I want it to be excellent. I want to spend the bulk of my money on this. And one of the ways you can tell where your heart is and what, what it's committed to is to ask, what are the actions I freely initiate? 100% commitment is really at the matter of, where's my heart? Really? See, our expectation is that if you're a follower of Jesus, you'll serve. That's part of what makes a church great. Great churches don't happen by accident or just by race or what city they're in. It's when a whole bunch of people from the top to the bottom all have a heart and mind to sacrifice, be committed, and serve to make it happen, or it won't happen. And I hope that'll be you. We're not called to summit to be watchers. Well, let's see, Rick. I'll give you about a 6.5 on that, like they do in the Olympics or something. We'll give it a grade. A lot of folks want to be entertained by your vision. Then you have a lot of critics that want to grade your vision, but they don't want to get off their rear end and do it. That's, that really hurts. really hurts. You know, a great church says, hey, I'm here. God put me here. I'm a member. I want to help. I want to have something to contribute. And everybody can contribute something. The value of your gift, your anointing, your ability is service. And no matter how good you are or how cool you are or how good your product is, Mr. Businessman, it's how you serve it that matters. You can have the best restaurant, the best food, the best chef, and the best location. But if the service is crummy, money will walk away from you. People will not go back. So we don't want people to come in and meander around and nobody even spoke to me. And that goes on in a lot of churches. I mean, you ought to be a target to everybody. You ought to be a heat-seeking missile to anybody you don't know. 
And nobody should get by you without a handshake, a hug, a good morning, a big smile, a can I help you, if you don't know who they are. That's what people say, wow, they sure were friendly there. Yeah, I don't want people to get ignored. And don't let people congregate or little sectarian groups. I break right into them. Man, it's good to see you guys this morning. I don't know them. I don't, I don't even know the date of my children's birthday. I don't know. But I just interrupt because I want to build a culture of friendship and love. And I want you to feel like, hey, that's one place I can come where they actually love me and accept me. And I've had a lousy week and I've been worse than a dog. But I feel like people care. So if that happens, somebody has to care. So get up and care and serve and make people feel comfortable. I don't think that's really a deep theology to you. Come on. Come on. Everybody does that. And then outside of that in your daily life, in your school, work, pray. God, help me 24-7 to be on the lookout, to be a servant to the people around me for your sake. What can I do to help somebody? You see somebody crying. You see somebody sad. You can just be very gentle and press in and say, man, what's bothering you? Can I pray with you about that? I've never had anybody offended that I said, can I pray about that with you? Can I pray for you? And that's what Jesus was, 100% commitment to Jesus. He said this, this is Jesus, not an American televangelist. He that will be great among you, let him be your servant. You want to be great in the kingdom? Be a servant. Money follows service. If no service in business, you know, money will run away from you. So service, whether business, service, helping meet people's needs in a church or ministry is what makes people feel appreciated and want to come back. So let's give good service around Summit. And ask yourself, are you participating? Are you involved in any? Have you gotten in a connect group? Have you opened? Maybe God gave you a lavish home because you're well paid, but you couldn't teach your way out of a paper bag. But you can say, I got a nice pad, but if somebody can teach him, come over. You can use the house. We'll meet once a week or once a month for whatever we need. I'll, I'll put it up so we can use it for the kingdom. Don't just have your pagan friends over. Invite some of your carnal Christian friends over and I'm just trying to be real. I'm just saying you, you, live in a, you live in Dominion or you live in Alamo Heights or you've got a special zip code and you've got, you don't want cooties on your car over there and you've got a nice place. For God's sake, invite some of us poor folks over. Let us see how the real folks live. Show us. <laughs> Show us all your electronics and all. I'm serious. If I, if I had something like that, the first thing I want to do is share it with my friends. I want you to come see, come use, come on over. Glad to have you. It's not based on your income, wealth, or how cool you are. You're part of my family. Come on in. That's, that's what's cool, right? Okay. Thank you. Number two, wholehearted devotion to God is passionately committed to worship. David had to lead the people. He's the head of the government. He's also the head of the army, and in addition to that, he loved worship, even wrote worship songs. He sacrificed time and energy to worship. He wrote most of the psalms. Those are, those are songs, things like, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. He's not just blowing smoke. In another psalm, he says, with my whole heart, I have sought you. Don't let me stray from your commandments. I treasure your word in my heart. See, that's not half-hearted devotion. On one occasion, we're told David and all the house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all their might. This was not Episcopalian, I'm sure. 
with songs and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. I mean, they're making a racket, folks. Look at church today. Read the Bible. Clap your hands, O ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Let everything that has breath praise him. Make a loud noise unto the Lord. I mean, you can read Praise him in the dance, Psalms 150. You know, my church, when I grew up, taught me that the Bible was the inspired word of God. We just don't do it. So when you do it, you look weird compared to what? See, we've, we, the abnormal has become so normal that when you're normal, it looks weird. And that's really dumb. So it's not about assembly of God, Baptist, Catholic, Episcopal. It's about, it's biblical. It is biblical. I love to see the young adults dance and shout and come down to the front. I wish some of you older people would do it. Lift up hands in the sanctuary. Scripture. This doesn't make me a charismatic or anything else. It just means I'm a disciple of Jesus. He said, that's how I want you to worship. So if the Bible's inspired and Jesus is Lord, why don't you do it? I mean, the only thing, are we going to be spectators? Are we going to be participators? Are we going to sit in our air-conditioned box? Are we going to get in the game? I don't know about you. I want to get in the game. I want a piece of the action. I hope that burns in your heart too. David is so exuberant in his worship. One day he comes home to bless his family. Michael, his wife, who is the daughter of former King Saul, comes out to greet him. And she says sarcastically, well... I saw on Twitter and uh, Instagram how wonderfully the king distinguished himself today, exposing himself in the eyes of the servant maids like a burlesque street dancer. It's in the Bible. And old David comes back at Michael. In God's presence, I'll dance all I want, sweetheart. He chose me over your daddy and the rest of your family and made me prince over God's people, over all Israel. Oh, yeah, sugar pants, I'll dance to the glory of God. More reckless than this. And as far as I'm concerned, I'll gladly look like a fool. Woo! Oh, get me some of that. Yeah, that folks will talk about you. Folks will come to watch. <laughs> Love to have seen that. Sometimes people worship God, but not with their whole heart. There was a funeral once, and the guy whose funeral it was used to be joking that he was a CEO church guy, Christmas and Easter only. He said, my body will darken the door of the church two times a year. And I was thinking, yeah, Sparky, except one year, the last year of your life. Then there'll be a funeral, and your sorry old broken body will darken the door of a church one more time. Everybody dies. Everybody ends up somewhere. But if you believe in God, he's worthy of your devotion. He's worthy of your work. He's worthy of fighting traffic on 281 to get here. Everybody worships. A guy named Ken Nunningham writes about a friend of his who worked his way through school as a paramedic. And he said he was shocked when he got a call one night to the apartment of a drug addict. The addict was trashed, unresponsive, shivering in the corner near death. The apartment, he said, was littered with garbage, syringes, spoons, needles, drug paraphernalia, and no food. And the paramedic said this, It was terrifying, but for the first time in my life, I think I understood 
what worship looks like. It's when a person is so desperate, they'll give anything, including their life, for it. There's no such thing as an uncommitted person. Everybody in this room is deeply committed to something. Your God is what you sacrifice for. And the problem is a lot of times we don't really know what we are committed to. And I think one simple way to diagnose your commitment is to ask the question, what do I get most irritated about when it's threatened in my life or when it's absent from my life? See, idolatry is when I look to something for something that only God has the power and authority to give me. An addiction, substance, success, sexual gratification, money, popularity, control, or just plain old comfort. I know people who worship sitting in a chair watching TV. And if that were threatened, dear Jesus, you'd quickly discover the level of attachment they have, their, their soul formed around. My grandmother was like that. Michael, who criticized David, was the daughter of Saul. That was her daddy. Saul did not dance before God with all his might. She grew up seeing a half-hearted devotion by her daddy. So parents, your wholehearted devotion to God means your kids will see your commitment to worship. Daddy, bring your family to church. Let them see you give. Let them see you lift your hands. Let them see you sing. Hey, I sing terrible. When Austin doesn't, when he backs away from the mic and says, now congregation sing, I suck. I think I sound good when I'm singing with the crowd. And then when he drops out and I can hear myself, it's awful. It's terrible. And you do too. But the nice thing about being a bad singer is we got a crowd of bad singers, so you're going to be all right. So sing anyway, even off tune. Let the band carry it. But I sing, sing in a shower, sing in a car. We've all done it. You can do it, but let your kids see it. Hold those little babies down here during worship. Bring them. Hold them up, grandmother, granddaddy, or mom and dad. Let them see the normality of being excited before God. If I'd have ever gone to a church like that, I'd have been in. I'd have bought in. I never saw it. I never saw it till I was in my late 40s. But it's possible. Have a good time in church, to be healed in church, physically, spiritually, emotionally, to feel loved in church and welcomed. And it's not a place we go to celebrate our political affiliation or our racial nationality. It's a place where everybody, male and female, bond and free, Jew and Gentile, are welcomed with equality. Everybody's the same. You know, everybody's welcome at Summit. Nobody's perfect. And anything is possible, baby. Anything is possible. I say it because sometimes parents make sure their kids get baptized or dedicated when they're little babies. You know, maybe it's expected. I don't know. But maybe it's just to get their parents off their back. But then they get real casual about spiritual formation, about the education and well-being of the child. Full devotion means I commit myself to wholehearted worship of God. If I'm a parent, that means I get serious about it. And unless we're traveling, you know, I'm going to be committed that my children will be a part of a spiritual community where they can worship and where they can learn about God on a regular basis. Because if you don't teach them, somebody else will. And I don't know what they're going to say to them. But you can bet your t- the teachers in school, the college professors, their peer group, they're teaching them. So you better get off your bottom and you better start teaching them and teach them by example what's important to you. 
I watched my grandfather who raised me in high school. Uh, I was about as spiritual as a, as a turtle or something. But my point was, I watched that grandfather. He went to every service they had and took me. And every Saturday night, he opened up that big old checkbook, wrote a check for his tithe, his offering to Sunday school, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And I found myself doing the same thing in a rock and roll band. I was tithing my income as a pagan based on my grandfather's example to me. And I was never broke. <laughs> Going to hell, but I was but I wasn't broke. <laughs> I look back at just what an impact that old man had on me. And he doesn't even think he had any impact on me. Parents, we do. Number three, full commitment to God means I repent of materialism and I get serious about generosity. We see this in David when commanded to build an altar to God and it happened to be on the property of some other man. The man said to King David, King David, here's the property, here are the oxen, and by the way, here's the wood from the yoke of that oxen. You can build a fire. I'll just give it all to you as a gift, no charge. And look what King David said, no, no, I will buy them at full price, no discount. I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. That's wholehearted generosity. It's not based on how much you make. You can be generous with a minimum wage income. You can be generous and be a multimillionaire. You can be stingy and be a rich man. It's always in the heart. You know, another time David wants to build God a house. He wants to build it, this great temple to the Lord that reflects his worth and glory. Now, he could have paid for that temple out of the national treasury, but David gave out of his own personal gold and silver because of his devotion to the house of his God. And the people are so moved that David would do this as a king to give sacrificially like that. They decided to do it as well. Commitment is contagious in that way. When there's an expression of giving, it says, then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly and of a single mind. They had offered freely to the Lord. King David also rejoiced greatly. I don't know what full commitment to God means in your financial life. I know it interferes. Otherwise, you just drift about where I live, the life people lust after, what new toy I can get, how much security I can buy. It's a different spirit than half-hearted commitment. God was teaching Israel to trust him with their resources from the very beginning. The Old Testament talks about tithing, giving the first 10% of my income to God because I know he's generous and faithful and that generosity is the right biblical way to live. It says, Honor the Lord with your substance and the first fruit of all your increase. The first fruit was the synonym for the tithe. By the way, how many of you in this room are the firstborn in your family? Firstborn. Raise a hand. Everybody look around. Hold it up high. You got Mida. 75% of this crowd are firstborn. You go any place where there's a believer in Jesus. And any crowd, take the same survey. God says, the firstborn is mine. I don't think there was ever a time I didn't believe in God. Now, I wasn't a Christian, but I don't believe there was ever a time I can recall I didn't believe there was a God. Really. I had no denial in me at all. 
The firstborn belongs to the Lord. He wanted the firstborn. He wanted the first fruit of your harvest. He says, I want to be first. They met on the first day of the week. Seek the Lord first in his kingdom, and all these other things shall be added. That's in your Bible. See, at any time I mention tithing, the number one question will be, do I have to tithe on the net or the gross? Well, that's an Amaziah question. That's not a David question. If you claim to be a believer and you don't give, you're not part of generosity, you don't think it's appropriate to honor the Lord that way, make it your priority. I understand sometimes people get into huge financial problems. I told a person not long ago, I said, look, you're in a big mess right now of your own making. Why don't you get on your knees and make a vow to God? Lord, if you will help deliver me out of this pit that I've sown myself into, I pledge to you to honor you with my first portion tithe from the rest of my life. I needed a deliverance and help. And part of that vow, because Jacob made a vow to God, was here's what I'll do. Why not? Why not? And then get in a financial freedom class with uh, Bill and Maureen Sitter here. We offer that. Help get you out of debt and handle your money correctly so you can be a good steward and you can sow and you can give and you can help people and help causes. That's a good thing. But being, being unemployed is not the condition of the majority of people here. It's just plain old fear and stinginess. And if you claim to be a Christian, whatever your age or stage in life, and you're not tithing, get serious and start doing it. Make it a priority, a first priority. Or maybe you tithe, that's kindergarten stuff, but it's been a long time since you made any kind of a financial sacrifice to honor God. Something that kind of makes your heart jump when you think about doing it, <laughs> I'm telling you, it'll launch you into an adventure of total trust and devotion to God. You will never regret it. Once in a while, do something a little risky. Give something valuable to you. Remember, God doesn't want something broken with mange or that you don't want anymore. That's called junk. God wants the best. And so give something that means something to you. He gave his best for you. Why would you give him less than that? I can't understand people. I'm telling you, God's calling us to nothing less than total devotion of our resources to him. That's the deal. It's not a legalistic thing. It's between you and God. But it's nothing less than that. Number four, full commitment to God means I'm accountable to the spiritual house and I'm accountable to repent over my sin. Uh, the most famous scandal in King David's life involved his adultery with Bathsheba and his using his army to cover it up when he killed her husband, hoping nobody would find out. And people look at that and say, well, how in the world could that happen? Hey, does anybody remember hearing a story in our news about a revered military leader who got caught in an affair and there was a cover-up that led to a national scandal? We've had several of them. Anybody can sin. Come on. What was unusual about David was that he didn't live in a day when there was freedom of the press or any checks and balances. He could do what he wanted. But he had a man in his life named Nathan, and Nathan, at great risk, courageously said to David, David, you're the man. You did this awful thing. And David repented. 100% devotion to God means I am accountable. It's not forced. It's voluntary. If you make a commitment about something you believe in and you take it seriously, you'll be accountable for it. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to go on a diet. I'm going to change my lifestyle. I'm going to stop smoking. You won't unless you make yourself accountable. You need help. We all do. We got people in here that I'm so proud of, they're on keto diets. And it, 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 
It looks as bad to me as it sounds saying it to you. But they want to drop that weight, lower the blood pressure, get rid of the tendency to type 2 diabetes. Lots of good things happening in the body. But somebody has to get committed and serious to do it. So they will eat that organic crud and uh, dead chickens boiled when it would be so much better fried. <laughs> Anybody with me? What a make them want to sit down and eat that. Ugh. Commitment to good health drives me to do what I don't want to do. That's, and if you don't have it, it won't happen. And you need people to hold you accountable. Husbands and wives can do it together to hold each other accountable. That's a fact. AA, if you've got an addiction, substance abuse, alcohol addiction, no condemnation, but people that have been in this a long time know you need to get encouragement and team up and knowing you've got to face these people again and tell the truth. Anything to help you keep that commitment to live sober, to live non-addictive. That's all. Proverbs 18, verse 1. He who isolates himself seeks his own desire and rages against all wise judgment. You ain't going to tell me anything. Why? That's why I don't want to be accountable. That's why I separate. I don't want to get near the church. When I fail, when I fall, when I have a divorce, when I've had an affair, when I've had a bankruptcy, people drop out of church. I don't want to have to deal with it. Let me tell you something. When all hell breaks loose and you fail that bad, you draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Don't run from God. Run to God for God's sake, for your sake. I would never betray you, throw you under the bus. But just tell me the truth. Be honest about it. He who confesses his sin shall have mercy. But who covers it's going to have judgment. Now, if you don't have a Nathan in your life that you've asked to hold you accountable to your highest commitment to God, there's a real good chance you're just faking it. You're just doing the Amaziah thing, just finessing it. One more. Can I do just one more five? Full commitment to God. Loves a challenge. Loves to be challenged. David said, I know, God, you search the heart. You take pleasure in uprightness. God, forever, keep forever such purposes and such thoughts in the hearts and deepest places of your people. That's us. And direct their wholehearted devotion towards you. How, how many times have I said already in Scripture, wholehearted, wholehearted, with your whole heart? It don't sound like, well, if the traffic's not bad, well, if my lumbago doesn't hurt in the morning, I might go, you know, if it doesn't rain, it's so hot. It's amazing how you can go to movies and go out clubbing, do everything, but you can't come to God's house. It's amazing to me. I, don't, I mean, what, that ain't much of a commitment. Try that in marriage and see how it works. Try that on your diet and see how that works. It ain't going to work. There's people in here that have... Lost 6,425 pounds. They've been on diets and counter diets and off the diet and back on the diet. I mean, they could match a whale with how much weight they've lost. <laughs> they never stuck to it, never got committed to something. Everybody, and by the way, every statistic I read on our millennials and on our culture, non-committed, non-committed, not going to commit to anything. Great. Let me tell you something, girls. If you got a guy... And, and you feel like there's a real love relationship there or whatever. If that sucker isn't going to marry you and be committed, don't give him the house. Don't give him all the furniture in the house. Don't give him all the stuff in the house. You want somebody that's committed to you and not 
another option, if you're just an option and not a priority, hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back anymore. I, I'm, I'm trying to be as, as, as honest as I can. If I'm going to hitch my wagon to somebody, I want somebody with the capability to pull that wagon, to support me, to take care of me, who will lay down their life for me. That's, that's commitment. I don't want something, well, you're the best thing I got today. As long as nothing better, cuter, thinner, or bustier comes by, you'll do. I can't get anybody else, and so you're so desperate to have a man, you'll take me. You'd, if I was a woman, you'd be shocked. Oh, I wouldn't be the, I'm not saying I'd be so virtuous or anything. I'm just trying to say, I'm telling you, any Tom, Dick, and Harry with a zipper and a heartbeat ain't coming in my house. You're not coming in my life. It's not going to get, if you don't have a future and a vision and the capability to look after me, to be a father, to be a husband, and good times and bad times, I'll be on your side forevermore. <laughs> I don't want you. I don't want you. I'm telling you, do, do some house cleaning. God, God, if God can open blind eyes and raise the dead, then God can open the womb of a 90-year-old woman. He may be just testing you to see if you're ever going to trust him for the right choice of, of, of male companionship or female companionship, I'm, I'm saying. It's a test. Yeah, but I'm getting old. Well, I'd say 90 was pretty old too, but God restored her, and he can restore you. And you may look... You may be in your late 40s, but you may, God may make you look foxy to him. Is this too deep? I'm looking at y'all. I don't know. Everybody's devoted to something or to someone. David says, direct their wholehearted devotion, God, towards you. I've noticed something about commitment. It's true in sports teams. It's true in families. It's true in workplaces. And it's especially true in churches in spiritual life. When somebody is deeply committed with their whole heart, not out of guilt, not out of pressure, but because they are convinced that this cause is supremely worthy of their devotion, of their one and only life, they love to be challenged about their commitment. Make my day. They love for somebody to come along and say, hey, I'm going to set the bar really high. Are you serious about it? We have people serious about CrossFit in here, and they're committed to it, and they love it when the challenge comes. They can't wait to bite into it. It drives them. And I'm thinking, what happened to Christianity where people were thrown in fires, fed the lions, and didn't care? Where is that today? I, I don't know. Are you born with it? Or do you train it? Does it come out of your family? Maybe a little of both. But when people are divided in their commitments, when they've gotten compromised, they don't want to hear a talk about commitment. It makes them uncomfortable. But when somebody has a commitment burning inside their heart, they love it. Like, give me more, baby. Give me, I want more. Challenge me. And unfortunately, we get committed to the goofiest things. Back in November 2012, anybody remember a business that went out of business? Call Hostess. And what does Hostess make? Twinkies. And the thought that there will be no more Twinkies was terrifying to our nation. There you go. People stocked up on Twinkies. A woman took her children to the grocery store and filled the back seat of her car with Twinkies. 
She did not want her children to grow up without Twinkies. It terrifies us to imagine life without Twinkies. We're so committed. For a fully devoted follower of Jesus, the call to total devotion fires them up, makes them salivate. It's like showing a Twinkie to a junk food addict who's been on a keto diet. They say, that's what I want. That's my heart's desire. That's what I crave. Don't let me forget that. Call me up to that. And Jesus is so committed to us, he goes to the cross to die for our sake. Not so we could live like Amaziah, half-hearted, uncommitted, but so we could, you know, take up our cross and die to ourselves daily and be totally committed to him and his cause. He's the only one worthy of full devotion of your one and only life. So I don't want for us to be a people who only hunger for messages about how God is totally committed to me. And at the same time, we don't want to be hungry to be challenged to full devotion to him. I want us to be a church that hungers to be challenged to total devotion to Christ. The way America hungers for one last Twinkie. I want that for us. Only Jesus is worthy of that kind of devotion. And he would tell stories. To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? Well, it's like a man who finds a treasure. And when he finds it, he buries it in the field. And he runs and sells all that he has to buy it. That's 100% full devotion. He says in his great joy, he goes and sells all that he has because of that treasure. It's just sanity to sell everything I have when it's so little to acquire this treasure when it's everything. It's not heroism. It's just plain old sanity. Jim Elliott, who was a missionary to Ecuador, to the Aka Indians, and was killed with a spear with his friends, says he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.